Lapcom Communications. Welcome to this episode of the Sunday Schmooze. This podcast series features Rabbi David Vigler, co-host Mitch Zachary, and select guests. Rabbi Vigler was ordained in 2004 in Melbourne, Australia, and spent the next 10 summers learning, teaching, and sharing the concepts of Chabad Lubavitch movement in places like Kyoto, Luxembourg, and Eindhoven. Rabbi Vigler and his wife, Rebetzin Hanna Vigler, have been married for 14 years. They have eight children. Rabbi David Vigler is one of nearly 5,000 Chabad Lubavitch rabbis around the world. Together with Hanna, they work 24-6, serving their chosen community, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Rabbi David Vigler and Rebetzin Hanna Vigler are on a mission. Connect with every Jewish family and share the meaning and message of life as seen through the lens of Kabbalah, the Hasidic movement, and the teachings of the Rebbe. Coming right up off the Yom Kippur with very, very little time to prepare is the most beautiful, colorful, natural holiday, the festival of Sukkot. The word Sukkot means huts or pergolas, maybe gazebos. That's what it means. It means outdoor living spaces where we literally build ourselves little huts, little shacks, where we move out of our homes, out of our multi-million dollar homes, our air-conditioned and insured structures with all of their structural engineering. We build these little shanties and we move out. We have our meals over there. We socialize over there. Many people even sleep in these huts for a whopping eight days. Florida is not always the easiest, you know, in uh, September this year. It's a little, uh, maybe a little hot, a little muggy, maybe rainy. a few, a little rainy, a little wet, but we do it out of love. We fulfill this extraordinary mitzvah of building the sukkah on the four days that stand between Yom Kippur and the beginning of the festival of sukkah, Sukkot. I just want you to picture the scene here a moment, Mitch. You've got all of these Jewish people around the world from Jerusalem to Johannesburg, from Poland to Palm Beach. And all of us have now to become carpenters, botanists, structural engineers, bricklayers. We all have to become extremely creative and very quickly build a structure that's hopefully not going to fall down for the duration of the Festival of Sukkot. Now, in Florida, you can get your occasional gust of wind. You've got to be very careful. We all go out, and it's the most beautiful time of year. Mitch, the memories. Oy, the memories of Sukkot. I just remember the smell of sawdust. I remember the smell of freshly cut wood. And most importantly, the, my memories of preparing for Sukkot is probably the one time a year when our family... My four brothers, my four sisters, and my father gathered together on one massive project. We all had to work in tandem. My father built the sukkah out of these huge logs of wood. They were about, they were about 10 inches in diameter, and they were about 15 feet long. No, not 15. Maybe they felt for an 8-year-old, for they felt like 15 feet long. They were probably 8 feet long. 
And we had to work in tandem as my father would nail in the brackets in the corners. We had to hold these poles in place for what felt like hours. I was an eight or nine year old, you know, holding up these poles, feeling so important. Because here I am, together with my family, I felt like I was building a temple for God. I was building our family sukkah. This was such an important experience. It was like going camping with my family for a whole week. Just that we didn't have to go out far away where there's no bathrooms. It was right next door to our house. You know, we had this beautiful porch, this balcony where we lived out there in Springs, South Africa. A two-story house and a big, a big uh, porch on top of the uh, garage. So we built our beautiful sukkah out there. And this, to me, was my palace. We had built this with our own hands in those four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. It was a place that we as a family had built. It was like our offering before God. And what I've described to you, Mitch, is only the walls. You know, I've described to you the pillars, the poles from which we made this, the, the, the basic structure. We then, the actual walls were made out of this sack-like material, which was breathable. But the roof of a sukkah is very unique. You see, the walls can be made out of anything. You can make them out of sack. You can make them out of tennis court material. You can make them out of wood, metal, cement, concrete, whatever you want. But the roof of a sukkah, the ceiling, must be made out of foliage, natural foliage, anything that grows in the ground, which is disconnected from the ground. So you can't build your sukkah underneath a pergola with a grapevine growing on top if the grapevine is still connected to the ground. It's got to be cut foliage. Typically, we'll take palm branches, those huge leafy mm. branches, chop them off from the trees and lay them on top of the sukkah. Uh, the memories are starting to come back to me. Can, you can just imagine that smell, the smell of those evergreens that they use up north in New York and the northeast, or the smell of the palm branches. And you got to be careful not, not to prick your finger. It always happens. Every year you got to prick your finger somewhere in one of those sharp needles, you know, of the, of the pines. But that prick of the finger, that was my sacrifice to God. This was my commitment. Every bruise and every scratch that I received when I was building that sukkah was a badge of honor that I would wear in my commitment to God. And to this very day, it's with my own children, such a beautiful tradition that I pass on. My kids are so excited to build the sukkah together as a family. And I go out of my way to make sure that even my three and four-year-old are able to participate, whether it's the collecting of the foliage in the backyard or holding a string up. They are standing in the hot sun and they're sweating for a few minutes and my daughter will bring out, you know, cold lemonade filled with ice where everybody's experiencing the construction of the sukkah together. It's such a powerful bonding family experience with so many beautiful smells and sounds. Every drop of sweat, Mitch, is worth its weight in gold when it comes to our merits before God. Because every drop of sweat that you sweat in building the sukkah, in doing any mitzvah, is considered part of the actual mitzvah. Right? So when you stand on Yom Kippur before God in judgment, not just the merit of the sukkah, but the actual sweat of the sukkah also weighs down on your side of merit, on the side of holiness. So here we are, and as the family stands together, 
building the sukkah, as our community will stand together, as we build our community sukkah at our shul and the shuls around the world. There's a tremendous element of unity, which is following up to the individual judgments of Yom Kippur. We go from this holy day of judgment of Yom Kippur where each and every one of us stands like sheep going, being counted by the shepherd one by one by one. And that's a very awesome and fearful moment. We come from that energy to the joyous energy of standing together as one. You see, the sukkah is a mitzvah, is a biblical commandment, which is unique in the sense that it encompasses all of us at the same time. Every other mitzvah that we fulfill, every other commandment is individual. When you lay the tefillin, it's only on my arm. When I eat kosher, it's me eating kosher. When I'm studying Torah, it's me studying Torah in my brain. Any mitzvah, any commandment that I do is a personal commandment. But the one mitzvah that really encapsulates a community the unity of the people, the Jewish people together is the mitzvah of the sukkah where we all are enveloped. We all are submerged inside of the sanctity, the holiness. We are enveloped like a, like a beautiful embrace of a loving father to his children as he, as he hugs all of his children together at the same time as all those children squashed together as one in the embrace of their father or mother. This is the energy that we feel as we stand together inside of the sukkah. Yes, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. Maybe it's a little hot. Maybe it's a little squishy. Maybe the chairs aren't the most comfortable. We try our best. But just like the embrace inside of the parents' arms, where all the kids kind of squish together knowing that this is a, a, an act of love. This is the energy that we're feeling on Sukkot as all of us stand as one, as no Jew is forgotten. Because we all stand together in the holiness of this moment, the mitzvah that unites us all as a community. Your memories, unfortunately, I don't think many of our listeners can share. So... How can they enjoy the sukkah in the simplest way? You know, it's not that hard to build a sukkah. There are certain minimum requirements. It's, uh, you could literally take a fridge box and just cut off the top and put some foliage over it. Cut foliage, natural grown, and you've got a kosher sukkah. Obviously, you might not be able to invite 12 guests into a fridge box, but... Think of it as a family project. Think of a project that you can do with your children and your grandchildren. Because I want you to think about your Zadie and Bubby. Do you remember building a sukkah as a child, Mitch? No, I lived in the city. We, do you we remember went, we went to the sukkahs? Did you see other sukkahs? Yeah, of course. Neighbors' sukkahs? No, no. I, I'm a city kid. Nobody had their own sukkah. Nobody had their own sukkah when you grew up? No, we went to the shore. Mitch, I feel bad for you. I actually feel bad for you. This is such a beautiful moment of passing the torch down to the, uh, to the next well, generation. Well, that's why I'm saying that your wonderful memories sound great. These are but, some of my But the my people like priceless. me that grew up in the Bronx or Brooklyn and, you know, we lived in the city. You couldn't just build a sucker in the middle of Brooklyn or the Bronx. Well, you could. I remember when I lived in Brooklyn, uh, when I was first married, we built a sucker on our fire escape. We built the sukkah on our fire escape. It was the, the highest uh, level of the fire escape. And uh, right there, just outside of my bedroom window, 
first year of marriage, I built a little baby sukkah, which was just good enough to fit my wife and I, a little cramped, but we had a beautiful experience. And I want to encourage our listeners to consider building your own sukkah. You know, you can buy prefab sukkahs these days. They'll ship it to your door. You can really... You know, it's so easy to have them shipped to your door. You can have this building experience. Invite your grandkids over and say, hey, we're building a sukkah this year. Explain to them what this beautiful mitzvah is about. And you'll see how much joy you'll get from doing this exercise with your children, with your grandchildren, with camping out, glamping out, really, into the glamorous clamping, you know, where it's near home and it's not so terrible, not too bad uh, out in the woods. And you're able to experience this construction together with your children to be able to have this wonderful bonding of the generations experience and pass on to them the teaching of what the sukkah represents, which is the unity of our people, the, the, the importance of how every one of us is incorporated in the embrace of a loving father, the embrace of a loving mother, and the message which, sukkahs ca- which the theme of sukkah carries for all of us as a Jewish people because there's another very powerful message here in Sukkot. In addition to the mitzvah of building a sukkah, there's a completely different element at play as well, which I, I have to share with you, Mitch. You see, in addition to those four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot being construction days, we also have to become botanists. Why? Because during the festival of Sukkot, there's another biblical commandment which commands us to buy four species of fruit, to tie them up together, and to make a blessing on them each and every day of the Jewish holiday. This is the mitzvah of the lulav and the etrog. And I just have to describe to you what this is like. You see, the lulav is a palm branch. It's a palm branch which is closed up, a fresh young baby palm branch which hadn't, it doesn't have its leaves opened up yet. It still is bound, you know, with the leaves all pointing upwards in the same direction. That's the palm branch. Then we get the etrog, which is a citron. It's a cousin of the, of the, of the citrus family. So it's not a lemon and it's not an orange. It's a citron, which is a totally unique fruit. Grows primarily in, uh, in Italy. And uh, it's got to be very carefully uh, grown. It's got to not be a a product of a graft or a blending with other citrus fruits. It's got to be certified, you know, as as a purebred citron fruit. And that looks a lot like a lemon, though. And it's got like a little little thing sticking out of the top of it, like a little... uh, Whatever, a little bump at the end. And then there's two other elements. We buy buy, uh, two willow branches little willow branches they're about a foot tall each and we also buy a minimum of three myrtle branches the myrtle they come uh, in where the leaves grow in triplicate you know they grow in groups of threes and those are the myrtle branches also we buy about three of them about a foot long each minimum and that is these are the four fruits now when we buy these fruits and we buy them together they're biblically commanded to us to take these four fruits the myrtle the willow the palm branch and the citron to tie them together and to make a blessing over them on this beautiful festival of Sukkot each day of the festival. When we buy these fruits, it's not just good enough to pick up any four fruits. Like anything we do for God, it's got to be the best. It's got to be beautiful. It can't just be one that we pulled off the shelf. So what we Jews do is that we go to the nursery uh, merchants, special merchants that deal primarily, especially with these four fruits of Rosh Hashanah, uh, sorry, Sukkot. We go there and we inspect the citron with a magnifying glass. I want you to picture the scene. 
rabbis from all directions coming in all hours of the day and all hours of the night. Remember, there's only four days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. They're coming literally. I remember going with my father midnight. We just finished building the sukkah day after Yom Kippur. And now my father says, okay, get dressed. We're going to pick out an etrog. Midnight, I'm thinking, who on earth is picking out an etrog at midnight? You come and you can already smell the aroma, that beautiful aroma of the citrus from the parking lot, full of cars. Midnight, right? Everybody's there, and everybody's there with their magnifying glasses, combing the etrog, looking for a tiny blemish. Because if it has a tiny hole, it's already not kosher. And if it's broken, or if it's, uh, if it's uh, stabbed, or if it has any other sort of blemish, it could be very, very easily disqualified and no longer kosher. Even if it is kosher, we want to make sure that our etrog, our lulav, is the most beautiful. As we bring an offering to God, we want to make sure that we will bring something that's beautiful to God. You don't just bring old stuff, right? And people will spend upwards of $250, sometimes $500, on something which is effectively a lemon. It's a citron. It's a fruit. They'll spend $500 on an immaculate, perfectly shaped, unblemished citron. One week later, you couldn't sell this thing for 50 cents. It's a fruit. But because timing is everything, this is just before the festival of Sukkot. Therefore, this is a biblical commandment and people will spend top dollar on a year where the, where the crop is not a good crop, they'll spend even $1,000 sometimes. For one etrog. On a perfect etrog. For one etrog. Exactly. One piece of fruit. This is our commitment before God. But there's a very powerful message here, Mitch. As we pick out our lulav, the palm branch, our citron, the etrog, as we pick out the myrtle, which has this beautiful smell, and the, uh, and the willows. As we experience all this botanical inspection, on these days before Sukkot, remember you're still building your sukkah back at home and you're coming to pick out your citron with that prick in your finger from the from the palm branch, right? Your, your finger is kind of hurting. It's got like a little bandage over it. And with that bandaged finger, you're holding a magnifying glass over the other and you're and you're trying to inspect this etrog, making sure that you got the perfect etrog and you don't, don't want to come too late because the early rabbi catches the etrog. You want to make sure you come while, while supplies are still uh, plentiful, right? So we come out there and we realize that these four fruits carry a powerful spiritual message you see each one of these fruits has a unique characteristic when it comes to their taste and when it comes to their how they smell starting with the etrog the etrog is a citron it's a citrus fruit it has a very beautiful aroma smells just like another any other citrus fruit with the uniqueness uh, of, of the etrog flavor. And it also has a delicious taste. It's a citrus after all, right? So it's got a beautiful taste and it's got a beautiful smell. Then you have the palm branch, the lulav, which grows dates. So the dates have great taste, but what does the date smell like? Nothing. Right. Dates don't have any smell, right? You can't smell dates. They just have taste. So there's only taste, there's no smell. Then... You've got the third fruit, which is the myrtle, the myrtle branch that, that grows in triplicate leaves uh, at each, uh, at each uh, junction of the, of the leaves growing on the branch. The myrtle, opposite of the lulav of the date, the myrtle has only smell, but it has no flavor. It doesn't grow any fruit, so you can't eat a myrtle, but it does smell beautiful. 
it smells an interesting uh, smell. And finally, the last of all is the willow. Is the fourth is the fourth fruit, which has neither smell nor taste. The willow just has no smell and no taste. So you got these four fruits from the etrog, which has both smell and taste, to the willow that has neither smell nor taste, and in the middle you got the, the lulav, which has only taste, and the myrtle, which has only smell. These four fruits represent four different kinds of Jewish people. You see, spiritually speaking, taste is Torah wisdom. The word for taste in Hebrew is the same word in Hebrew as logic, as wisdom. The word taste and, and wisdom is the same exact word. It's ta'am. Ta'am, T-A-A-M. That means logic and it means taste. So the quality of taste is Torah wisdom. And smell, Kabbalistically, represents good deeds. So you have four different kinds of Jews. You've got a Jew like an etrog. He's got good taste and good smell. He's got a lot of Torah wisdom and he's got a lot of good deeds. A lot of mitzvahs. Seems like a good Jew, right? Then you've got the Jew who's got the elements of a lulav, of the date palm. Like the date palm, he has taste, but no smell. Taste means he's got a lot of Torah knowledge, but unfortunately, tragically, despite his Torah wisdom, he doesn't have any good deeds. Do you know people like that, Mitch? Yeah, of course. Do you know people that are well-educated, but they're just not a mensch? Oh, absolutely. They, in fact, very often they're a little elitist and they think they're superior to people. Condescending to everybody yeah. else. They think that they're better. Somehow they're God's gift to mankind. And it's, it's really, it's obnoxious, right? It's really, ugh, who wants to deal with such a person? You know, you know what, what, I love the saying that goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you have this great Torah scholar who doesn't have any wisdom, any good deeds, it's really a problem. And third, the third fruit is the myrtle. The myrtle has the, has the, the smell but no taste. This represents the Jew who's got good deeds, lots of good deeds. He's such a mensch. But he's, he's illiterate. He doesn't know any Torah. He doesn't even read Hebrew. You know, that's the guy. He's just a good deed. He gives charity and he, he, he never says no. He's just a good person. But he doesn't study Torah. Finally... You've got the Jew who's like the willow, who's got no taste, no smell. This is the guy who's got no good deeds. He's not a mensch and he has no Torah wisdom. You think that, you know what? The Torah embraces the etrog Jew, the guy with the wisdom and the guy with the good deeds. Maybe we'll even tolerate the guy with the, with the good deeds and no Torah wisdom. And maybe even we'll tolerate the, the, the Torah scholar who has no good deeds. But the, the, the willow, the guy without good deeds and the guy without Torah wisdom, forget about him. That's a bad Jew. That's the Jew that you want to write off that has lost our people. The message of Sukkot is no. We all have to be standing as one in order to fulfill the mitzvah. If you want to fulfill the mitzvah of, of the lulav and the etrog, you have to take four different species and bind them together as one. You can't have four citrons together to fulfill the mitzvah. Four perfect fruits will not make the cut. You need to have four different fruits ranging from the perfect Jew to the most imperfect Jew. And you bind them together as one and you say, thank you God Almighty for having sanctified us in your commandments. Thank you God Almighty for having chosen us to be your bride to be your chosen nation. We realize that being the chosen people, being the Jewish people, is not about 
an elitist society. It's about accepting and embracing the message of unity, how we all have to stand as one united together, how no Jew is ever lost to our people. It's the mentality and the realization that every Jew is my brother, even if I don't like him. Even if I don't agree with how she thinks, even if she votes for Trump, even if she votes for Clinton, it makes no difference what their politics is. My brother is always my brother. My sister is always my sister. This is the unifying message of the holiday of Sukkot. The four species reminds us that no Jew remains behind. And if you wrote off one Jew, if you wrote off the willow, then you can't fulfill your mitzvah. You can, even your citron, even your etrog is incomplete. Same goes for the sukkah, the mitzvah of eating and living in the sukkah, which reminds us that dwelling together is in the embrace of our loving parent. That's the only way that we can continue as a nation is when we stand together as one. If you have a comment on the Sunday Schmooze, you can contact Rabbi David Vigler directly at rabbi at jewishgardens.com. That's rabbi at jewishgardens.com. Lapcom Communications.